What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, all right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, just a way of reminder, um, we have the, the schedule here. We are officially two weeks behind schedule, and you know what? It's all my fault. Please forgive me. But maybe, just maybe, God wanted me to do that. You see how, how people can use God to get out of their stuff? So that you can journal chapter 4 for next week. So we'll be in chapter 4 next week, and we will finish this book, all right? Not next week. we got two more weeks, but uh, this is the schedule. We're two weeks behind. There's a paper in the back on that table. Go ahead and take it. But at Bow Down, what we like you to do is we like you to be ahead of the sermon so that you can ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How can you encourage me? What do you want me to change? What do you want to show me? And you journal through it. And then when you come on Sunday, you've already spent time in that word meditating on it. And now all of a sudden, the word is, is preached. And hopefully when the word is preached, there may be prophetic things that God does. Um, there may be challenging things. Maybe you had bad doctrine and, and your doctrine gets corrected. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I have bad doctrine and you want to come see me. So uh, that's what we do here, okay? Um, Steve Stanton, I need to talk to you afterwards, okay? It's nothing bad. I had a dream about you, and I want to pray for you, okay? Come on, baby. And anyway. God, help me never to say to a girl, I had a dream about you, and I want to pray with you. So anyway. All right, God, help me quit joking around now. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's go ahead and pray. Father. Um, Psalm 138 says, you have exalted your word above your name. You have put your word on par with your name. And God, we magnify your name, but often we don't magnify your word. We treat it as a common thing. We treat it as another book on the shelf. And we ask, Jesus, that Psalm 119, that whole thing, we would begin to walk in that. That your word would take its rightful place above every thought, above every feeling, above every worldly philosophy, everything in life, everything, our marriages, how we work, how we live, everything would come underneath the written, holy word of God. I pray that you would just remind us today of how great your word is, and may we have a greater love for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Charles Spurgeon said to visit books often but live in the word of God. 
George Mueller said, for four years I read all the famous Christian books, but for four months I decided to put away the books, shut myself in the room and read only the word of God, and I grew in four months then more than I did the four previous years. That's the power of the word of God. It's the power of the word of God. We tell 516 every year, you can memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And when you do, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will get more from you and the Word of God than all teaching, all training, anything I say, you and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, honoring it and keeping its rightful place. The problem with the church today, collectively, is that we do not honor the Word of God. We don't believe what it says. We don't obey it. It doesn't have a rightful place in our life, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's get into it. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy, verse 1. It says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, you're like, Chris, we already went over that. Bill did a great job a few weeks ago. That's okay. We're going to go through it again really quick. Pray for me. And understand this if you're taking note. Christian... If you're wondering why everything's like it is in our world today, what does Scripture say? It's going to be difficult. Don't be surprised. You know, it's an amazing thing. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. He says, in the last days, pestilence will get worse. Hello, COVID. Seeing what's going on, getting worse. Where's our science? Where's our technology? Where is our, it shouldn't get worse, right? But it is. How did Jesus know that 2,000 years ago? Anyway. For people will be lovers of self, verse 2. The reason why things get difficult and are difficult is because people love themselves inside the church, outside the church. When you love self more than you love God, your life will be difficult. And the outcome of your life will be you'll love money, you'll be proud, you'll be arrogant, you'll be abusive. Verse 2, you'll be disobedient to your parents. Why do children disobey their parents? Because they love themselves. They want to do what they want to do. They do not want to honor their parents. Ungrateful, unholy. That person never says thank you. You know why? They love themselves. Heartless, unappeasable, never satisfied, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I love myself, I love pleasure, which means I love myself more than I love God. And what does scripture say when we see those kinds of people? Avoid them. Avoid them. Well, I got ahead of myself. Verse 5. They have have appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households, and they capture weak women, burdened with sins, led led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men 
corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they'll not get very far, for their folly is going to be plain to all, as it was of those two men. So five things here that you need to have and understand from these uh, first nine verses. Number one, things are going to be difficult. Number two, people are going to love themselves. Be careful of that because you know you are always on your mind. As that Willie Nelson song, you're always on my mind. If that was Willie, I don't know. I don't listen to country. But the reality is we're always on our mind. When I see that picture of the group, who do I go to first? Me. And then I won't post it if it's not good of me. But let somebody else's face be all jacked up. My mind looks good. I'll still post that thing because it's about me because I'm swollen with conceit. Now we joke and we laugh, but we know it's true, right? We know it's true. We love my, I love myself. God, bring me to the place where I love you more than I love myself. That's the heart of a disciple. The third thing that we see from this text, people have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power. They're always talking about God, but we don't see any power demonstrated in their life. Well, what does that mean, Chris? Healing signs and wonders? Maybe, but I think it's more so talked about in Romans 8.13, where it says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So we can know all about God. We can give a mental assent to who he is, but if I don't walk in Romans 8, 13, by the Spirit you put to, deed the, 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 put to death the deeds of the flesh to find life, I'm walking around by not turning the power on. I can know all about God. I can memorize verses. It's said that Elvis memorized over a thousand verses in his lifetime, but it did him no good because he walked with knowledge without the power. There's power that comes with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within you. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he is in you. But if you do not turn on that power switch, you do not have the ability apart from God to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So you can walk and talk all godly, but if you don't move by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just going to be clanging gong because your lifestyle is going to disqualify. But see, that's not us. We don't, we're not the people that that, that deny the power of God. We don't walk godly, but then deny the power. No, God, I need your power to put my sin and my flesh to death. I need your power because I realize I love you. I love myself more than I love you. And I just repent, God, and I ask that you change me. Power of the Holy Spirit come upon me and help me to put my flesh to death. We don't deny the power. Christian, you can't walk or succeed or flourish without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. But most Christians don't call on that power. They actually deny the power that is in them. (sighs) 
I want to look at this God. And the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you are, is there. But I never go and say, help me, because I know I shouldn't look at this. The fourth thing that we see is that they're always learning and they never arrive at the truth. They're opposed to the truth. Don't be somebody that's opposed to the truth. Does that describe your life where you've been to 27,000 Bible studies? But the truth is something that you never, ever walk in. Always learning and never able to arrive at the truth. What describes your life more than the person who walks in the truth is someone who walks in deception all the time. Who, and the last thing that we get, you'll see the foolishness of their life. So their follies plain to all, verse 9. Like everybody sees that this person can't get their life together. And the reason why they can't get their life together It's because they don't access the power and they're opposed to the truth. It's very simple. And the root of it all is that you love yourself more than you love God. Now, verse 10 of chapter 3. Good job. Way to stay with me. (laughs) It says, you, however... So there, that's a, it's all good. It's all good in the hood. You, however, means that there's a contrast. There's a contrast. There's like, that's not who we are in Christ. You, however, have followed, means we are following the example that's set before us. For Timothy, he was following Paul's example for 15 years. He mimicked his life. And Paul said, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. For us, right, we are following Jesus. His teaching, verse 10. His teaching, meaning his doctrine, his word. We follow his word, and look what comes after teaching. My conduct in verse 10. You see that there? My conduct, which means what I believe deep within my heart is going to produce a certain type of conduct or a certain type of lifestyle. You followed not only that, but my aim of life. You followed my purpose. My purpose. A purpose with others. And you live like that, Timothy. In fact, Philippians chapter two says, I'm sending you Timothy. I have no one like him because all others seek their own desire, but not Timothy. He's faithful. Church, that's like a wake up right there. Philippians chapter two, read it at your own time. You mean Paul was saying that he had greatest missionary probably of all time, he had no one else like Timothy because everybody else was concerned with their own life. We're going to read next week, chapter 4, everybody deserted me. Again, greatest missionary of all time, left all alone in a prison cell at the end. It gives a different twist on what being a successful Christian is, by the way. 
He was left all alone. People deserted him. Demas deserted him. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and from them all the Lord rescued me. And I said last week, hey, God, if that's your rescue, I don't know if I want to be rescued, right? (sighs) Paul went through some stuff. And we spent the rest of the time last week in the stuff that he was in. And so, here we are today in verse 12, where we left off, indeed. Or you could put faux show. All who desire, you might want to highlight desire, and you might want to highlight all too. Actually, you probably highlight this whole thing. It's a great verse because sometimes we forget. So we, 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 we went to a church where they said, if you come forward and give your life to Jesus, he's going to make everything better to you. They were lying. Probably not intentionally, but that wasn't the whole truth. Half truth wasn't the whole truth. So forgive me, Lord, for saying they were lying. They were just not telling the whole truth. Because, yes, Jesus will make your life better, but you're probably going to lose your friends, all of them, unless they become Christians, because you no longer want to do what they wanted to do. Right? Hey, man, you want to get high? No, bro. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I don't do that anymore because I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Right? I don't do that anymore. Well, do you think they're going to invite you to the next party? You're going to be mocked. You're going to be laughed at. Oh, are you one of those born-againers? What, are you going to hand out tracks? Ah! They're going to come at you, right? I don't know if anybody's ever been called a born-againer or made fun of. Anyway, mock, 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 mock. Your life is going to get harder. In fact, this is what it says. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, that's a nominal Christian here today, and you don't get persecuted, there's something wrong with your Christianity. Now, I've been persecuted for being a jerk, okay? And so I deserve that persecution. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I've judged people. I've been condemning. I've been a Pharisee. I've been wrong, dogmatic, and the list can go. I'm not talking about that kind of persecution, and that's why they're getting persecuted. Anyway, who's desiring to live a godly life where their life is godly. And when they walk by us, their life brings a conviction. All, all who desire to live a godly life in 
A lot of times it even comes from our own family. It's thicker than your family's blood. And you're now in a new family. And you're going to have to choose, hey, because Jesus, they know that once I give my life to Christ, I'm about to suffer, right? So it's a great book. I'm reading it. I love the title, and I'm, and I'm thankful for your dad. Phenomenal book. He goes through the book of Acts. I highly recommend you buying it, okay? Um, but prepare for persecution. Hey, young people, listen. You need to prepare yourself for persecution. When you get married, you need to train your kids so that they're ready for persecution, We can already see the first fruits of that happening within our society. When we come against something that goes against the Bible, it's considered hate speech. And understand, understand that I probably am going to go to prison someday for hate speech. But didn't we already talk about that one verse that says, the word of God is not chained. So if they put me in prison, guess what? I just got a bigger church. There's more people in the local jail than here. So anyway. So, and these are all going to be new hearers. Come on, send me to, no, don't send me to prison. Lord. Oh, my wife can come. My wife comes with me. I'm good. But uh, anyway. So we need, to be, we need to be prepared. We need to be training as if and not surprised when we do be, be, are persecuted. So it's a, this is a biblical mindset, a biblical worldview that we're walking in. 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So understand evil people and imposters. They're gonna go from bad to worse. They're deceived they're going to deceive others. And if I'm persecuted, guess what? That means I'm being persecuted by someone that's under deception. So that gives me grace for my persecutors. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Who said that? Jesus on the cross. He knew they were under deception. So persecution shouldn't lead me to complain and whine and mourn. Oh, I'm under spiritual attack, brother. Please pray for me. Persecution should actually lead us to a rejoicing, a celebration, and a compassion for those who are doing the persecuting. And unless we're training for that, we're going to get hit and we're going to be just like every other Christian, American mindset sometimes that's whining, that's complaining, that's murmuring, that's complaining about the, the politics, that's complaining about, and we can keep going on the list. Now, I'm going to rejoice. I want to rejoice. I want you to, to turn to Matthew 5, please. And uh, keep your place in Timothy if you haven't. I'm sorry. 
Well, we're all, that's our main text for today, so maybe, maybe throw a bookmarker or something in there. So look at, look at Jesus, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. So this is, again, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's funny how the four points that I gave last week, they're all in this passage right here. They're all in this passage right here. Blessed, and you want to highlight blessed, are those, Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That means, righteousness' sake, your desire to, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be righteous, that you live with a godly desire to live, all right, to live in, for righteousness' sake. I'm living for the king's sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed, highlight that again, so it's twice it's saying you're blessed. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, persecution is gonna come. They persecuted the Old Testament prophets because they didn't want to hear what they had to say. Jeremiah, weeping prophet, under persecution because he spoke truth to power and he was persecuted. Nothing has changed. They killed Jesus because he was the truth. And he prophesied and testified that their works were evil. And they killed him for that. The 12 disciples were all murdered. Right? All of them. Persecution, right? Even John, um, you know, Island of Patmos, like, persecuted. All of them. All of them suffered persecution for the name of Jesus. But yet we think somehow in our American Christianity that we're going to escape this. And I'm just saying, guys, no, that's the wrong kind of mindset. You don't need to fear or worry that it's coming, but just know it's going to come. It's going to come. You will be persecuted. Well, Chris, this is such a negative downward. You know, I needed encouraged today. Be encouraged that your dad loves you. And he's, gonna, he's telling you what's, what's up, right? And be encouraged that he gives you time right now to prepare yourself for persecution. And part of it is listed here in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Embrace the persecution. You have to have a heart that embraces it. You have to expect the grace of God to come right? Blessed, 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 blessed. So that's an expectation that when this happens, I'm actually blessed. I'm blessed. And so having that right mindset is going to cause me to react in a proper way. You also see point number three last week was have a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective. What's Jesus say? Great is your reward in what? Heaven. That's an eternal perspective. Thank you, God, that now I'm getting rich because I'm being persecuted. Spiritual perspective. They're persecuting me because they persecuted the prophets. They persecuted you, Jesus. And so they're under deception. So I'm being persecuted. I don't take it personal because the battle's not against flesh and blood. It ain't their fault that they hate me. And now I can operate with a spiritual perspective and an eternal perspective. 
You see, all the points from last week are summed up in these. So forgive me for not just going to these two verses last week. But anyway, let's go back to to, to 2 Timothy 14. But as for you, so he's talking to Timmy, continue in what you've learned. 2 Timothy 3, 14. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And I want you to highlight from whom you've learned it, please. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Say, my Bible is a sacred writing. Yeah, it's just not another book on the shelf, guys which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So I want you to keep your place here. Turn to 2 Timothy 1.5. It says, I am reminded, 2 Timothy 1.5, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your... Right. And in your... So here's grandma and mom. Well, where's dad? Where's her baby's daddy? Okay. The dad, Timothy's dad, according to Acts chapter 16, his father was Greek. Scholars believe unbeliever. So I want to just lovingly lay this before your feet. Ladies, ladies, listen up. This is for you. Number one, single moms, You get those scriptures in your kids. You do it. Well, I'm not qualified. Oh, we're going to get there. First, second Timothy 317. (laughs) We're going to get there. You are qualified. So single moms, get that word in your children. I don't care if they want it or don't want it. The Bible says your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You don't want your little children to grow up be be little sinners, do you? Then you get that word in their heart <laughs> so they don't sin. That is the power of God's word. Well, what if they don't want it? I don't care what they want. Do you think they wanted to put on a diaper and walk around your house? No, nah, but thank you, Jesus, that you put a diaper on them. In fact, I don't know about you, but my kids, they would kick and squid, you know, till I got that diaper on. I had to be quick, man. They didn't want the diaper. They wanted to be free. In fact, my, my son used to run around, naked boy, naked boy, naked boy. Anyway, real funny. That's what they wanted to do. But the diaper was very helpful. Can I get a witness? I don't care what they want. Give them what they need. Second thing I want to say is some of you are married and husbands aren't on their J-O-B. Meaning, leading kids and teaching them the word of God. What I see is wives saying, well, that's his responsibility. He's the head of the home. He should do this. And there's a complaining and a whining because husband ain't on his J-O-B. Don't do that. You go humbly to your husband and say, hey, I think... We should teach our kids scripture more, maybe at the dinner table, that we could read a verse and talk about it over dinner. 
Do you mind if I put a Bible on the table and we could just read one verse and talk about it every dinner time? Do you mind if I do that? How can you humbly go to your husband and say, how can I serve you? Or do I have a permission to teach and train and equip them? But so much of arrogance or pride or immaturity just cast stones. He's not doing, he's not doing, he's not doing. Look at this here. Look at this here, what Scripture's saying. Now, trust me, I'll get on the men, but that's not today. What's the Scripture say? Grandma and mom, grandparents, what is your plan to disciple your grandchildren? Seriously, though, what is your plan for discipleship? And some of you single ladies that are looking still, you want to make sure you're looking with spiritual eyes for someone who takes God's word very seriously right now without you because it will probably carry over in the marriage to how they use God's word in your marriage but also with the kids as well. God's word. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3, please. By the way, if anybody needs a plan to disciple their grandchildren, okay, I don't have any grandchildren. Go see Rick Merrill in the back and Lynn. I'm, I'm sure they have a plan. So anyway. The church, we want to come around, and we want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 16, all scripture, and I want you to highlight all, because all doesn't mean most, it doesn't mean some, it means all. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, if you're taking note with pen, old school, please write above that, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Breathed out by God. That phrase, breathed out by God, Genesis 2, verse 7. We'll go there in a minute, but let's just stay here. It says it's profitable for teaching. Again, there's doctrine. The same thing that was listed in verse 10, you followed my teaching, it's listed here again. We are supposed to follow the teachings of Scripture. They should come above everything, everything. Reproof, that means rebuking someone. Listen, if you, don't, if you see somebody in sin disobeying the word of God, the best way for you to come at them is to say, hey, Joseph, I have this verse here that God's laid on my heart for you. Will you read it? Pray about it? See if the Lord says anything to you and hit me up. Okay? What do we Christians do? This is a word, man. Do I trust the Holy Spirit to bring conviction? Do I trust in the power of the word of God with my brother and sister? Hey, I want you to read this text and get back to me. Oh, boy, we'd have a healthy church if we did that, right? Most of the time, we just avoid and that's not healthy, because sheep don't get well. 
reproof, correction, and training for righteousness. We need God's word to train us for righteousness that the man of God, verse 16, or the woman of God may be complete. You want to highlight that. This is, this is what that's saying here. If I read God's word and I do it, trained in righteousness, doing it, I'm going to be complete. How many of you feel like you're not just complete? If you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Bible, you're complete in Christ. And this is the, the, the messed up mentality of the church at large. And when I say the church, I'm saying myself, by the way. When I say confronting wrong, I'm talking about myself. So don't, don't, don't forget that, okay? I've done it wrong way too many times. So highlight this, equipped for every good work. Notice the word is not some good work. It's not most good work. But it says every good work. And so right now, we all just need to say, forgive me, Jesus, for not believing what your word says. Because we don't believe that. And the big reason why we don't believe that is because of us pastors. And I would ask for forgiveness for myself and for others. There's like this belief system that's crept into the church that if you take this class, if you go through this program, if you go to this seminary, if you get this degree, then you're qualified. Understand scripture doesn't say that, does it? Jesus sent out the blind man and he took down the Sanhedrin without even knowing what Jesus looked like. The woman at the well saw a great revival because she left her broken pot there and she went and told everybody how great this guy was. We see people being qualified and they didn't even have their Bible. We're New Testament. We, right now, we have the Bible. We have it in different languages, different translations. But yet we don't believe what's said right here. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. So I'm going to give you some, some points here to apply to your life. Um, and the first point is this, as you turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, is, is you are complete and equipped for every good work. You're, you are equipped and you are complete... And you're ready for every good work. It's what the Bible says. You go online and you look for pastoral positions and you see often, oh, you have to have your MDiv, you have to have your doctorate, you have to have this, you have to have that. Understand, that's not biblical. It's extra biblical. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm not... Doubt, you know, there's nothing against getting degrees and learning. Right, Bible says study to show yourself approved that the man of God can rightly divide the word of God. So there is good in that, but that doesn't qualify you. It doesn't qualify you. And it didn't qualify the early church, the apostles. This is an important verse. 
You don't feel, you think you, if you take that next class, then you'll be equipped? No. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You have God's word. Read it, obey it, do it. You got this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated men. Highlight that. Those guys never went to seminary. They just had been with Jesus. They were common men. They were fishermen. They were uneducated folk. But they had been with Jesus. And these people were astonished. They recognized they'd been with Jesus. You are in Christ now. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He promised to never leave us or forsake us, right? He is with you. You have the Holy Spirit, and also you have the Word of God. You got everything you need. 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about you are a royal priest. Every Christian here is a priest. Some of you might want to go buy that little costume with the little collar, you know, the T-shirt with the little collar, the priest collar, and just walk around with it until you begin to believe that you are a priest. Because you are, because of the blood. No other reason, right? Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it declares that. We have been made priests by the blood of the Lamb. We're qualified. We have all we need. And the reality is, a lot of times, it's like we need professionals and we don't need just regular church members. Oh, Pastor Chris, this is, this is way out of my, can you help me? Yeah, I'll help you, but, but here, let's first read 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. You're feeling like you're not ready, but this is what it says, you're ready. Now, I'll walk with you in that, but first you've got to be, hey, hey God's going to, he's going to give me what I need. And, and the reality is, listen, we all need to repent off that because we don't believe it. All of us. Maybe some do. I'll never forget being at a conference, and this guy was on stage, and he had his doctorate, and somebody said, hey, would you ever attend a church with somebody who didn't have their Masters of Divinity or doctorate? And the guy said, no, because I would never go to a surgeon who hadn't been to college to do surgery. And my spiritual life is way more important than my physical life. And you know what? That made a lot of sense. Until five years later, when this guy of a few thousand-member church left his wife for his secretary, married the secretary, split the church, and has recently planted a church here in Palm Beach County, but that's another story. Completely disqualified. That's great, you got a doctorate, but you were never trained in righteousness. You were never trained in righteousness. There's no godly life. Look, I would not accept people into seminary unless they're proving they have a desire to live their godly life. Like, our questions coming into 516 deal with hidden stuff that nobody talks about. Why? Because you better have a desire for godliness. If you don't, there's, there's a problem that's there. The Holy Spirit is holy. 
Point number one, you are complete. You are equipped for every good work. Point number two, all scriptures, God breathed. It's divine and it is holy. I want you to turn to Genesis 2-7, please. It says, then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust, Genesis 2-7, from the ground and breathed. So you want to highlight that word breathed, and you want to put 2 Timothy 3-16 over breathed. He breathed in his nostrils and the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God's word has the power to bring life. God's breath is his word. There's a reason why this says this. And Jesus, and I just want you to just listen, John 6, 63. Jesus said, the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. God's word is so powerful. It can raise the dead. It can create. It can change lives. One word, let there be, and there was light. There's a power in God's word. There's so much power in God's word that in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus comes back, and the name that's written on him is the word of God. When we begin to put the word of God in its rightful place, knowing that it has power, that it's just not another book, things begin to change in our life. Nick, if you could put that uh, rainbow scripture up, please. So this is a picture. Um, If you put on the side here Genesis and you put the end Revelation, this is the Bible, and those are 63,000 cross-references. Now, what's a cross-reference? We just did it. Genesis 2-7, God breathed and life came. Second Timothy would probably be somewhere around here, right? And so these are 63,000 cross-references, meaning that the Bible is completely together. That is miraculous because it was written by over 40 people over a period of 15 100 years, 1,600 years on three different continents. This book is miraculous, and the references back and forth, back and forth, it's unbelievable. It's mind-boggling. It's beautiful. It's holy. But yet we treat it like it's some book on the shelf. It's life. Go ahead and put the picture of Daniel up, please. The prophecy in Daniel. I didn't do it last service, but we're going to go long today because this is the last service. I want you to turn to Daniel 9.24, please. Daniel 9.24. By the way, this is what sealed the deal for me when I became a Christian. It's this prophecy that I'm going to go over with you right now. The Bible has over a 1,000 prophecies that have come true. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Prophecy is something that's said and written down right before it happens. 
Do you know that the exact day Jesus was going to die was prophesied in this chapter, Daniel chapter 9. Why is that important? Here's why. 400 years before Christ came, they translated the Hebrew Bible, because it was originally written in Hebrew by all of those different authors, right? But then they translated into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. That was written 400 years before Christ came. We have copies, it's documented, it's a fact. And so this passage was written down prior to Christ's coming. But let's look at this prophecy, which is amazing. Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to the finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity. See, they were already speaking of the cross before Christ ever came. to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both the vision and the prophet, to anoint the most holy place. Know therefore and understand that the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one, you wanna highlight that, shall be cut off and have nothing. Now, if you're like, oh, 62 weeks, 70 weeks, just listen. The decree, you see up top there? It's in Ezra chapter 7, 8 through 28. Scientific fact, archaeological fact. That's when the decree went forth. You see it on the top there. If you add up all the 62 sevens and seven sevens and all those things there, you get 69 weeks. But when you do the math on a regular calendar, the math doesn't come out right. So what this guy developed in the 1800s was that if I do the math on a Jewish calendar, which is 360 days, and I multiplied the weeks together, I end up at 400 in 83 years, or 69 weeks, which is 173,880 days, according to the Hebrew calendar, which puts us at April 3rd, 33 AD, the same day Jesus was crucified. Now, I don't know about you, if I just confused you, but that's like, are you kidding me? The Bible prophesied that Jesus, how many days before? 173,880 days that he would die on a certain day in Jerusalem? Mind-blowing for me. At that point, I got on my knees and said, Jesus, I'm all in. If you can do that, surely you got everything in my life planned out. I can trust you. (laughs) If you got that thing sewn up like Betsy Ross, I'm good to go. Amazing, miraculous, holy, willing. Listen, listen, when we see this, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna gonna be all in on this. If God can accomplish that through mankind who doesn't even want him, imagine what he can do with those who have his Holy Spirit. Go ahead and play that video real quick, please. Life is built on trust. It's essential to everyday living. You trust your alarm will wake you up. 
that motorists will stay in their proper lanes. When you send a package, that it will arrive at its destination. You trust when you store your money in the bank that it will be there when you need it. Trust. Without it, life would spin into utter chaos. When it comes to trusting the Bible, how do you know that it can be fully trusted? Current research shows that three out of every four people trust science. So let's get scientific. Science tells us everything is made of particles, indiscernible to our eyes, as stated in Hebrews 11.3. Not until the 19th century was it discovered that all visible matter consists of invisible elements. In Genesis 6.15, the Bible specifies the perfect dimensions for a stable water vessel. Shipbuilders today are well aware that the ideal dimension for a ship's stability is length six times that of the width. Keep in mind, God told Noah the ideal dimensions of the ark 4,500 years ago. Aristotle wrote about the earth being round in the 4th century BC. Isaiah wrote about the earth being round nearly 400 years prior in the 8th century. Job also wrote about the earth being suspended in space. What about the fact that air has weight? 4,000 years ago, Job declared that God established a weight for the wind. In recent years, meteorologists have calculated that the average thunderstorm holds thousands of tons of rain. To carry this load, air must have weight. Countless pieces of literature in the medical community indicate that fat clogs arteries and contributes to heart disease. The Bible also cautions about consuming fat in Leviticus 7.23. History and archaeology give us strong reasons to trust the Bible. The Bible is a unique book written over a period of about 1,500 years by approximately 40 different authors. The locations in which these books of the Bible were written vary as much as the authors themselves. For example, Moses wrote in the wilderness, Paul wrote in prison, John on the island of Patmos. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. In spite of this wide variation of authors and circumstances of writing, the Bible displays an amazing unity in describing God's plan of redemption for mankind. Its unity has been summarized in this way. The New Testament is the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. With one accord, it repeatedly claims to be the word of God. This unity points to the mind of God behind it all. The New Testament has been preserved in more manuscripts than any other ancient work having over 5,800 complete or fragmented Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and 9,300 manuscripts in other ancient languages. With that many copies, the potential for error could be high. But in this case, the copies are within 99.5% accuracy of each other. And that half percent is attributed largely to spelling. Second to the Bible is Homer's Iliad, with only 2,000 copies. And most ancient documents of smart guys like Aristotle have only about a dozen copies. And a lot of people put stock in his writings with a lot less evidence. Beyond the unity of scripture, modern archeology span has strongly confirmed the history of both the Old and New Testaments. Nelson Gluck, a renowned Jewish archeologist remarked, it may be stated categorically that no archeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Various archeologists have made similar remarks supporting the accuracy of the Bible and the contribution of archaeology in understanding the Bible. And what about prophecy? The Bible is full of prophecies that have been fulfilled. The book of Daniel, for example, describes a dream in which four empires would dominate the world stage. History tells us that these kingdoms happened exactly like they were described in the Bible. This prophecy that spans the time of nearly 2,500 years is nearly impossible to guess the outcome. There are more than 350 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, predicting his birthplace, 
death, and resurrection. So let's consider some odds. The odds of being struck by lightning in a year? One in 960,000. Becoming president? One in 10 million. A meteorite landing on your house? Well, that's about one in 180 trillion. The odds that you'll eventually die? Well, I'll let you figure that one out. Now, the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 350 prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power by conservative estimates. God desires for us to reason with him and prove whether his ways are true. So, if you're like the three quarters of people who put their trust in science, or maybe even those that trust history, archeology, span or prophecy, by testing and proving, then you agree with the Bible, which says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things and hold fast that which is good. So if you could put up the state of Texas for me real quick. They flew, he flew by this uh, uh, 1 to the 10th to the 17th power, right? And so what I want to do is I want to just give you a, a word picture via Josh McDowell. He's the one that came up with this, and I, I stole it from him. Uh, but imagine the state of Texas, it's pretty big. Now, this describes uh, the, the, the chance of Jesus fulfilling eight, just eight of the prophecies. So take the state of Texas and you fill it up, next slide, two feet deep of silver dollars, although it's gold, but anyway. Um, you take those silver dollars, two feet deep, spread them all over the state of Texas. Now, next slide, please. You take one of those silver dollars and you mark it with an X. And you take that one coin and you throw it out in the state of Texas. You then spin the person around. You tell them to go walk through Texas as long as you want. But at some point, reach down and grab that one coin and that's the probability, and put up the next slide, that's 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Those are the real numbers. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who the Bible claimed that he is. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the only way to heaven. He's the one that scriptures talk about and point to. And by the way, my daughter sent me this this week. She's like, Dad, do you know the Big Bang, the, the odds for the Big Bang is 1 in 10 to the 123 power, meaning it takes more faith to believe in the Big Bang than Jesus. Anyway, it's crazy numbers there. Here's the last point. And this is a commitment that I want you to make before God, if you feel so led, that from now on, from now on as a church, and, and listen, if, if, we, if, we, if God does this in us, we're going to see an unbelievable revival break out. Unbelievable. You know, John Stott said of the Beatitudes, just those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if every Christian obeyed that, we'd see the greatest revival the history has ever known. Just those three chapters if we've lived, if we live that. So here's the commitment. God, I'm gonna make a commitment to obey, obey your word and bring everything under your word from now on. Everything has gotta come under the word of God in my life. 
I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 10, please. 2 Corinthians 10. What does that look like to bring everything under the word of God? It's laid out for us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. Verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh, but of divine power. What's of divine power? Let me just say, the word of God and the Holy Spirit. This is divine power, divine power. To destroy strongholds. Strongholds could be false beliefs or arguments that are against the word of God. It could also be demonic as well, demonic influence as well. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Because Satan is the father of lies. So false beliefs have their origin in the demonic. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So there's the commitment that I'm asking you to make today. Are you going to take every thought captive from now on and say, you know what? My thought is just my thought. I'm going to obey you, Jesus. I'm going to obey what your word says. I don't want you to discount your feelings. They're important. But when your feelings are going against Scripture, your feelings need to be dealt with. Verse 6. Understand that the kingdom suffers violent and the violent take it by force. I want to violently attack everything that's keeping me from knowing God. I want to violently attack every false belief. I want to be violent. Chris, you're too extra. So is the scripture. So is the scripture. This is war. And when I see People not walking in the word. That's war. I want them to come under the word of God. Being ready to punish disobedience when your obedience is complete. What's that look like, Chris? It looks like this. Man, I just feel so alone. I just feel so alone. I feel so alone. And the more I dwell upon that, the more I believe I'm alone. But then we take that thought. Wait a minute. Isaiah 9, 6, I think it is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. So I feel alone, but am I alone? I want to punish that. I feel so weak. I feel so weak. What did we learn last week? His strength is made perfect in our what? So now, instead of complaining about how weak I am, I just acknowledge it and say, thank you, God. I'm realizing how weak I am. Now I want your strength. I want to punish that. Instead of feeling so broken, I'm just so broken. I'm just so broken. Look, feelings are good, but what did Jesus come to do? Luke 4, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. 
So my focus is not on my brokenness. My focus is on the power of God, which is ready to heal. And some of you will get healed today because you're believing that you're broken, but you don't want to be broken anymore. And Jesus came to heal you. Psalm 34, God is close to the brokenhearted. I feel so broken, but you know what? Psalm 34 says he's close. Hallelujah. I want to focus on that. That the presence of God is with me because I'm broken. Thank you, God, that I'm broken. Break me more if it makes me look like you. The economy, the, the, the inflation, the, the how are we going to, oh, boy. Cryptocurrency, I got to get my money. Ah, listen. We serve the one who brought manna from heaven. We serve the one who brought water from a rock. We serve the one who said, my God shall supply all of your needs according to the economy, to his riches and glory. It's a different mindset. I gotta, I gotta punish what doesn't belong in my head until it's dead. Break bread. Anyway, budget, I'm dealing with that. Oh, Chris, you I, that's an aggressive budget. That's an aggressive budget. Okay, yeah, I know it's aggressive. But the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Are we going to step out in faith? Are we going to say, oh, we're not going to have enough money? You can't start a Christian school, Chris. You can't do that. You guys don't have, you can't, oh, yeah, you know what? We did it. Right, Joe? We did it. Listen, Joseph taught kindergarten last year. Joseph, where'd you get your four-year degree in education to teach kindergarten? Nowhere. He don't have his degree, but you know what he had? The Word of God. Also, Michelle. <laughs> Jesus and the Bible, and there's only one other school in Palm Beach County that had a higher reading level than Joseph's class. 85% of his kids read on grade level in Joseph's class and he doesn't have a degree. He doesn't have an education degree. He follows Jesus, he reads the Bible and miracles happen because if God is for you, who or what can be against you? You're not leaving today. I'm gonna keep going. Because some of you still have thoughts that need to be punished by the word of God. And you're like, land the plane. I got to go get the kids. My sister runs children's ministry. She's forgiven me her whole life. She'll forgive me again. Some of you, listen, some of you need stuff to go. Galatians 1.5, you've been set free by Christ. Don't go yoked back into bondage. We go into bondage when we believe lies and we don't believe what scripture says. When I stepped out in faith to do ministry, I sent out letters to everybody that I knew and they said, we'll pay you 10 grand a year, Chris. 10 grand a year? I'm newly married. How am I gonna survive off that, God? Then my wife somehow gets pregnant After the honeymoon. Three months, four months, five months, I'm making 10 grand a year. I got Christians coming to me saying, 
if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, Chris. That's how Pharisees use scripture wrong, by the way. And I go in my prayer closet, and what's God say? Matthew 6, 33. Chris, you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything else will be added. God began to provide 20 plus years later. He's still providing. I'm not asking. It's coming because it follows when our hearts are set on the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you don't have. It matters what he has. And is his word true that if my motive, my heart is right before God, and I'm doing what he's called me to do according to his word, that Matthew 6.33, I'm seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, everything else will be added in context. That's finances and that's home it's true he has done it not me so Darren come on up please my sister will forgive me but my brother-in-law won't (laughs) I don't know where you are today but I know for me I'm realizing, man, too much time on social media. Too much time on news. Instead of the good news. But very simply, God, I I want more of your word. I want to love your word more. I want to honor your word, God. So I will, I will. This is your I will statement, application. You know what? I'm going to begin to be in your word, and I'm going to bring everything in my life under your word, no matter what I feel, what I think, your word, God. Father, I just thank you and praise you for this word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I pray that we would believe it, that we would believe it, God. You're so faithful. The promises are true. You've never lied. There's never been a promise you have not fulfilled. Your word is glorious, God. It's glorious. Forgive us for not honoring your word like we should. Forgive us for not spending time in your word and being excited to do so. God, I pray for just a revival to begin to happen where we begin to love your word and we want to obey your word because your word is truth. And you have promised Jesus in John chapter 8 that those who abide in my word, they are my disciples. And when they abide in my word, they will know that it's truth and that truth will bring freedom in their life. You've called your sons and daughters to freedom And it comes through obeying your word. Obeying your word. Walking in the spirit is walking in your word. Because the spirit will never contradict your holy word. And I pray, God, again, just for a love to break forth for your beautiful, beautiful, holy word. Your breath, God, may it be upon our lips. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. May we encounter you as we worship now. In Christ's name. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.